You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Our forces in the region will continue to operate, to fly, to sail wherever international waters allows. That includes the Taiwan Strait. I think what we saw with China was they were trying to establish sort of a new normal. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. The answer isn't to defund the police, it's to fund the police. Bagger Republicans don't have a clue about the power of women. They are about to find out. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Taiwan fires at drones from mainland China. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as tensions rise in the Taiwan Strait. Just as U.S. Navy warships pass through for the first time since Nancy Pelosi's trip to the island, we'll discuss the stakes and Washington's evolving relationship with Beijing, not for the better right now, with Jacques Delisle, director of the Center for the Study of Contemporary China at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Later, President Biden back to Pennsylvania today to talk up his new plan to fight crime, and he's going back to battleground Pennsylvania two more times in the next week. We'll talk midterm strategies with Christian Hall, national politics reporter at Bloomberg. Analysis from our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, joined today by Republican analyst Bill McGinley with the Vogel Group. Another surprising headline from Taiwan, where soldiers have fired shots to ward off drones flying close to some small islands that are controlled by Taipei. Well, if you ask Taiwan this uh, right near the Chinese coast. Uh, this is dangerous stuff. The headline alone says enough. It's another day where tensions are rising here. And White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about it early in today's uh, briefing. I should say gaggle, actually, because they were on Air Force One on the way to Pennsylvania, where the president spoke today, but very carefully answered by Karine Jean-Pierre. Here she is. We remain committed to our uh, China, uh, one China policy, as you've heard us say these past several weeks. In accordance with that policy, we'll continue to fly, uh, we'll continue to sail and operate where international law allows us to, uh, consistent with our longstanding commitment, again, to freedom of navigation. Uh, and that includes conducting standard air and maritime uh, uh, tra uh, transits through the, the Taiwan Strait. So we're going to keep doing what we're doing. They're going to keep doing what they're doing. Uh, but it does seem to be a new level. Three drones here. Uh, none of them were hit. There were sort of warning shots, as they're described by Taiwan. And they did head back to mainland China. At one point, one of them reemerged. But this is scary stuff in Taipei. And it's where we start our conversation 
Following uh, a third congressional trip, a Codell to Taiwan, this time we spoke with Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, who just returned. And it's all coinciding here with, as I mentioned, our evolving and some would suggest deteriorating relationship with Beijing. Joining us on Bloomberg Sound on Jack DeLille. The Stephen Cozen Professor of Law and Political Science he runs the Center for the Study of Contemporary China at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Jacques, thanks for being with us. When we hear about Taiwan opening fire on anything made by China, what does that tell us about the state of affairs in the Taiwan Strait? Well, it's a reminder that the state of affairs is not good. Uh, it hasn't been good for several years now. And of course, mm-hmm. it was especially bad earlier in August when we saw the military exercises that China launched in, in the waters around Taiwan. Well, so talk to me more about this. Is it not a new level? I mean, once you start seeing things uh, being shot from Taiwan, that opens up uh, an invitation to any number of responses from China. Sure. I mean, I think it is another uh, ratchet up, another, or at least another uh, front in this kind of gray zone conflict. Now, to frame this a little bit, what's going on is China is sending unarmed Air, uh, unarmed airborne vehicles, so there's there's mm-hmm. no real chance of people dying here. Uh, over the air into the airspace over islands controlled by Taiwan. Now these are merely unarmed drones. Uh, they don't have weapons on them, and it's in fairly peripheral islands. But China is trying to make the point and trying to get its new normal, uh, where it exercises a degree of control in the airspace over land areas claimed uh, and controlled by Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of asserting its sovereignty. And if you look at what the Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokesman, the famously combative Zhao Dijian said, there's nothing to see here. It's just Chinese drones over Chinese airspace over Chinese land. That, of course, is provocative toward Taiwan. And their view is that this is an unwanted, uninvited uh, guest. They actually quoted an old Chinese proverb to that effect. So they were trying to warn it off and trying to push back. What if they shot one down? Is Is that an act of war? Um, well, if they shot one down, the claim from the Taiwanese side would be it was an act of self-defense sure, yeah. against against a, a, a hostile vehicle being sent in by China. In the Chinese view, it's essentially China acting over Chinese territory. And so mm-hmm. in a way, it's a wonderfully tangible and uh, in some ways quite scary example of the nub <laughs> of the dispute, which is China claims Taiwan is part of China full stop and Taiwan claims a good deal <laughs> of sovereign autonomy. So it was simply China shooting back at itself. <laughs> um, that would sort of the Chinese view of Taiwan, you know, it takes many shades of, huh. uh, of of dark gray here. But one of them is that it's essentially a rebellious would be secessionist area. And they're trying to put that down and reclaim yeah. control. I mean, this goes way, way back. It's just that it's become a lot scarier recently because of the well, hostile atmosphere. Let's talk about why, Jacques, how much of this has to do with Nancy Pelosi and the two other uh, congressional journeys to Taiwan? I mean, is it as simple as that? I realize that we were. We were already having some issues uh, here, but there's a long history of issues. The two presidents were to speak again, and then things caught fire when Nancy Pelosi got on an airplane. Yeah, so we've certainly seen in the last several weeks a significant uptick in visible signs of U.S. connections and support for Taiwan. The congressional delegations, the first one led by Pelosi to since then, have certainly done that. But I think it's just another tick up in a uh, long standing trajectory. And basically, the dynamic is the U.S. sees China as trying to coerce Taiwan more and more. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. pushes back against that. And uh, China then sees that as stronger U.S. interference. So it's just layering one of these things on top of another. As for the Pelosi visit, of course, it was somewhat provocative on its own terms. But I think what really drove it was China said, don't do this yes, and the right. u.s didn't do much to stop it and then we were off to the races well we were we were joined uh, uh by members of the second 
uh, Codell, uh, Congressman Garamendi, uh, among them here on Bloomberg Radio. And I spoke yesterday with Senator Marsha Blackburn, who just returned from Taiwan and, and tried to raise the bar here a little bit. And as I asked her, she referred to Taiwan as a country. These things are are listened to and parsed carefully in Beijing. That's considered very offensive. Uh, and I asked her if she intended to do that. She had referred to Taiwan as a country at CPAC earlier this year as well. Listen to her answer, Senator Blackburn. Yes, indeed it was. I think it is important for us to to recognize Taiwan. They share our values of democracy, of freedom, of independence. They have a founding father. They have a constitution. They have a president. How much does rhetoric like that from an American lawmaker uh, damage the relationship with Beijing? It's certainly not helpful. Um, of course, terms like country and recognize can be used in a colloquial sense, but China mm. will read them in the literal sense. Yes. And country implies separate sovereign state that runs afoul of the ambiguities baked into the U.S. one China policy, which says the status of Taiwan is basically undetermined. Mm-hmm. Uh, and recognition, if we're talking diplomatic recognition, treating Taiwan as a country with a government, and we that's just inconsistent with where U.S. policy has been. Mm. Now, again, China can be a little disingenuous in this. They know that Marsha Blackburn is probably not speaking super precisely. And even if she is trying to push the envelope on this, which she very well might be trying to do, there are people in Congress who are pushing for formal diplomatic relations and so on. It's still not administration policy. Uh, But China takes it as further evidence that the U.S. is kind of stealthily and sneakily suborning uh, those who would uh, push uh, for greater full-fledged formal independence in Taiwan. They seem to be looking for an excuse here, and, and we've got a whole bunch of people lined up to provide them. Yep, there's profound distrust on both sides and a real willingness to uh, to put the worst possible reading on. And that's kind of why we're in the dangerous spiral we're in now. So where does this go uh, in in the, the next year, we'll say, Jacques, or for the remainder of the Biden administration? Is it actually time to start taking another look at the one China policy? Because we seem to be crossing it, at least uh, rhetorically, fairly often. Yeah, so I, I think the authoritative statements, it foreign policy still come primarily from the administration, the president and his uh, cabinet and so on, uh, with Congress, of course, having some influence. And Biden himself has has edged a little farther out with his discussions of obligations to defend Taiwan and so on. Uh, But the U.S. still continues to cling to the one China policy. And I think that makes sense. It would be truly disruptive to go elsewhere. I don't think you'll even find leaders in Taiwan who want to see that bedrock of the stability that has more or less persisted in the strait for decades now uh, Mm -hmm. to come apart. So the the trick is to find ways of pushing back against Chinese coercion, which entails showing stronger support for Taiwan, that don't cross whatever China's red lines are, while at the same time not letting China to essentially exercise a heckler's veto and define what U.S. policy has to be. It's a delicate uh, dance, and there are too many people on the dance floor right now to send a clear message. We're talking with Jacques Delisle on Bloomberg Sound On as we consider the relationship that China has with Russia. It really informs what's been happening on this side uh, of the world as well. And a, and a major headline that if you haven't heard, if you're if you're on your way home, uh, you might not have seen on the terminal that Mikhail Gorbachev has died. Uh, the, the Soviet leader, of course, who helped to end the Cold War dies at 91 uh jacques i don't know how old you have to be for that to mean something to you the the, in in the ideas of perestroika and glasnost from that period of time uh but you know i'll i'll spare you the end of an era uh uh, line here but we're certainly reminded of a different world 
in Russia and in that part of the world as we recall the life of Mikhail Gorbachev? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, I am certainly old enough <laughs> to remember Gorbachev and Perestroika yeah. and, and Tiananmen, the, the democracy movement in China, which coincided. And in fact, Gorbachev played a role in that. Uh, he was an inspirational figure to many of the students on Tiananmen Square in 89, calling for democratic reforms in China. And after he left is when you know the protests accelerated and, and we right. saw the crackdown. But I think what he represents is the possibility of a path toward reform and openness, a greater political openness, a degree of democracy uh, in a communist-style authoritarian system. But sure. what his Do we get a statement shows, from the Kremlin on this, or does Vladimir say nothing? Heard. I haven't heard from him. Yeah. Well, I haven't either, Shaq, but I'll let you know what I hear. Uh, Shaq Delisle, it's great to talk with you uh, from the study of contemporary China the center of at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. We'll assemble our panel next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. The news from Taiwan today, shooting at, if only test firing or warning shots, I should say, Chinese drones over islands, is just the latest wrinkle and comes two days after the United States sent two Navy vessels into the Taiwan Strait for the first time since Nancy Pelosi's visit. These weren't just any vessels, by the way. Ticonderoga-class guided missile cruisers. And how about it? The USS Antietam and the USS Chancellorsville. Uh, (laughs) Of course, named after two Civil War battles. Not a coincidence, I'm assuming. As we read on the terminal... Based on Bloomberg data, these were the first missile-laden cruisers that we have sent in the past five years through the strait. At least a quarter of the transits announced by the Navy have involved two vessels. None have involved two cruisers, according to Bloomberg. 
How much of that had to do with the drones? All this stuff seems to be a chain reaction between China and Taiwan. Let's assemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano is here, Democratic analyst, of course, Bloomberg politics contributor, along with Bill McGinley today, former White House cabinet secretary during the Trump administration and attorney now at the Vogel Group. Great to have both of you with us here, Jeannie. It seems like another layer every time we talk about Taiwan. Uh, when you hear of Taiwan firing, uh, even if warning shots at, at anything that belongs to China, does this create a new worry for our military? It does. And I think Jacques' point about a dangerous spiral is a really important one because, you know, in this context, even the smallest things can become enormously consequential. And so I think, you know, that is everybody's concern. And, you know, you were talking about Pelosi's visit and, of course, Marsha Blackburn. And today we have the governor of Arizona landing in Taiwan for two days. And the Biden administration, it was just yesterday we were getting reporting that they have asked for one billion dollar arms sales to Taiwan. Now that's still being worked on, but let's not forget what that means to China. Taiwan's military budget is 15 billion total. So that's a pretty big amount yep, over absolutely. 1 1 billion. And so all of these, you know, quote unquote small things can lead China to react or overreact, not to mention any sort of dangerous accident like the shooting down of a, you know, a, an airline or something like that. So right. I think it is a curious uh, uh, you know, a really scary time as we watch sort of the back and forth over there. What's your take uh, on this, Bill, and how concerned are you when you do hear about it? Jeannie points out an important story, almost a billion dollars, maybe a little more, uh, in missiles and radar systems that the U.S. is preparing, according to our sources, uh, to sell to Taiwan, realizing that we have helped them uh, historically. But for this all to be happening right now uh, makes you wonder, why did we send the crews uh, ships up the uh, the cruise missile ships, I should say, up the strait. And why is China flying drones around Taiwan? Well, I think the hope is is that uh, both sending the uh, the cruisers through the strait, but also the uh, sale of arms uh, uh, to Taiwan, which I believe will get uh, bipartisan support, um, is hopefully designed to send a message of peace through strength. Mm-hmm. In that the the real language that the Chinese Communist Party is going to understand is is that this isn't something um, that they're going to be able to do uh, under the Putin theory of taking over uh, Ukraine in two weeks. And I think as you begin to see Ukraine get bogged down, and I don't think you can decouple what's happening in Ukraine uh, from what's happening with China with the the probing and the incursions uh, by the Chinese. Uh, whether it's the flights or the missiles or now the drones yeah. um, probing, uh, you know, Taiwanese airspace. Um, I don't think you can decouple those. And I think that the lesson that we've learned throughout history is that peace does come through strength. And I think the United States in asserting the freedom of the seas with the sailing through the strait, uh, but also saying that they're going to supply arms as they traditionally have to the Taiwanese with a strong bipartisan support um, is going to demonstrate resolve to keep that region peaceful. Um, and that cooler heads need to prevail. What do you make of the rhetoric from Senator Blackburn, uh, Jeannie? Should should American lawmakers be referring to Taiwan as a country? Uh, the rhetoric we heard from Nancy Pelosi while she was there aimed directly at President Xi, even, even uh, making reference to him as a sexist, saying he wouldn't have gone after her if she had been a man. All of this stuff is adding up to something in, in Beijing. Is it part of the strategy? Maybe it's a good thing. I'm, I'm genuinely curious if they're hurting or helping. 
You know, I, I like I asked about Pelosi's visit. Um, yeah, I'm always curious to say, you know, what is the policy outcome that benefits the United States mm-hmm. and not these lawmakers in particular or even a party or even Congress as a whole? And with Pelosi's visit, I struggled to find the upside there. You know, Bill was just talking about Ukraine. And as, you know, we are looking at the situation there in Ukraine, one of the big question marks becomes what if we, you know, in these movements and these efforts and these statements, you know, encourage China to take more supportive measures vis-a-vis Russia in Ukraine. Um, Not that they would do that, but, you know, this issue of an upside. So I don't see the benefit of sort of keep poking the bear, if you will. So that's not a projection of power in in your own I, I don't see the benefit to the United States, and I think that's why the administration with Pelosi's visit wasn't that excited about it. If there was a real benefit, that would be one thing. If there's not... I'm not sure it is advised to keep going like this. Jeannie Shanzano and Bill McKinley make up our panel today. They're back after we check in with Bloomberg national politics reporter Christian Hall. President Biden drawn some lines uh, today in Pennsylvania. Donald Trump's going to draw more later this week, and we'll dig into what's happening driving the campaign coming up. This is Bloomberg. President Biden says he is not done when it comes to the issue of stopping gun violence. He held an event today uh, in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Wilkes-Barre, by the way, if you're wondering. $37 billion in crime prevention. Just start thinking about it. It's got a name, uh, the Safer America Plan, and it breaks down into a bunch of grants, incentives, help hire additional police officers, Uh, clear court backlogs uh, to solve cases, a grant program for cities and states to use uh, to promote violence prevention. Uh, There's a lot in here as the president reaches for a refrain that was used against Democrats to try to gain traction in Pennsylvania. Here he is today. It's based on a simple notion. When it comes to public safety in this nation, the answer is not defund the police. It's fund the police. Fund the police. As we heard him say during his State of the Union address, 100,000 additional police officers for communities to hire and train with the better part of $13 billion over the next five years. Did you think this is what we'd be talking about two months out from November? Of course, gun safety is one of the big accomplishments that President Biden wants to take on the trail. Look at the list, right? The legislative accomplishments. You can add infrastructure to that. You can add the Inflation Reduction Act, whatever you want to call it, the CHIPS Act, the Burn Pits Act. This is the portfolio. Does it matter, though, when you when you see a president with approval ratings tracking the price of gas every day? I think last time we checked low 40s. I'll take another look. And this is where we start with Christian Hall, who joins us. From Washington here at Bloomberg, national politics reporter Christian, welcome. It's great to have you. Uh, This is going to be one of three trips, as I mentioned, to Pennsylvania. Crime prevention is something that we had been hearing was going to be held against Democrats in the fall. Can the president try to own this issue? Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, I think 
on police funding, it's going to be difficult for Democrats. I think the question that they're going to ask when they come back into Congress is, how can we help ourselves? Um, and poli- police funding definitely will be one of those challenges for them. There have been some lingering disagreements between progressives and moderates on law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of frontliners see this as an opportunity to kind of pin a hole in the defund the police attacks from right. Republicans. But Progressives and CVC members are wary of funding without accountability measures and, you know, um, how it's going to impact minority communities specifically. This is going nowhere right on Capitol Hill, the Safer Americas Act. No, I mean, it really is uh, going to be a challenge for Democrats to be able to come together on this. Maybe something in the House. I know Nancy Pelosi was working on a series of bills, but this is uh, would be funded through, by the way, the existing budget request for 2023. Um, the president's going back to Pennsylvania uh, on Thursday, a primetime address, Christian, in which he will talk about the battle for the soul of America, soul of the nation, something he talks about in his speeches. And then he'll go back again for Labor Day, where he's going to march in a parade. Are we to believe that the balance of power will be decided in Pennsylvania? What's what's going on there that's bringing him three times in a, in a week? I mean, Democrats see Pennsylvania as a real pickup opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think the Cook Political Report showed that the contest has shifted from a toss-up to leaning Democrat. This I mean, is the, Fetterman, the Dr. Oz Fetterman race? Yes, Dr. Yep. Oz Fetterman. I mean, Fetterman has been incredibly effective at you know fighting this race through the media. He took a little bit of a hiatus after suffering a stroke a while back, and now he's you know doing a really good job. He's leading in fundraising, outraising Oz by over $8 million. So Democrats see this as a real opportunity. Dr. Oz will be on stage with Donald Trump. That's the other big one this week happening also in Wilkes-Barre on Saturday night. Uh, Doug Mastriano will be there, an election-denying uh, uh, nominee, the Republican nominee for, for governor. Uh, and we see the headline today that seven more Republican leaders are endorsing Democrat Josh Shapiro uh, for the governor of Pennsylvania. What can Donald Trump do to get either of these campaigns moving again? I mean, you know, people are calling into question the impact that an endorsement from Donald Trump still has. And even though there are some races that he's endorsed candidates and, you know, uh, he hasn't been as helpful, I do think that uh, an endorsement from Donald Trump is still something that candidates want to have and can have a really, you know, good impact on their ability to win. We talk about uh, Joe Biden's list of accomplishments. Uh, there's still a shopping list. Uh, the Senate comes back next week, right? Then the House after that. What could possibly happen? And and let's be let's be honest with each other here, Christian. Between now and November, uh, is it is it going to be the normal kick the can, try to figure out some kind of a spending bill, or is there anything else, new legislation that this Congress can pass? Well, again, as I said earlier, I really believe that Democrats are going to try to find legislation that can help them ahead of the midterms. I think one thing might be same-sex marriage. You know, 70% of Americans support same-sex marriage. And by Senate Democrats bringing Chuck Schumer, bringing that to the floor, um, it could put Republicans in a little bit of a squeeze. People like Ron Johnson, you know, ahead of his race against Mandela Barnes. It can be a real issue for some Republicans. 
The president, again, will speak in prime time. And by the way, I'm not assuming that uh, a lot of networks are going to be carrying this in prime time. It's really a kind of a campaign event, even though he's speaking as the president uh, uh, on Thursday night. Is this going to be ultra MAGA equals semi fascist or what's going to be the address? Was today the dress rehearsal? I mean, I think President Biden is going to try to pick up on the momentum that Democrats have right now. I mean, they are just coming off the heels of the student loan program. Um, You know, Democrats and Republicans are neck and neck in generic ballot polling. Um, Just earlier this month, abortion rights activists were able to turn back uh, Kansas's state constitutional amendment. So, yeah, I think they have a lot of a good chance. Um, in the midterms. Come see us again. Christian Hall, national politics reporter in Washington at Bloomberg. We'll reassemble the panel next for their take on this. It did sound a bit like a dress rehearsal to me. He even raised his voice a few times. Joe Biden back in Pennsylvania. This is Sound On on Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden testing his political muscle, as I read on the terminal, as midterm travel blitz begins. I guess travel blitz of Pennsylvania, to be exact. He's in Wilkes-Barre today. He'll be back Thursday in Philadelphia for the, the primetime address and then marching with a guy named John Fetterman on Monday. Yeah, there were a lot of stink was made about the fact that Fetterman, of course, the Democratic nominee for Senate, was not going to be with Joe Biden today, well, or on Thursday, that's a little bit of a different matter. He's going to be marching in the parade with him on Monday. Hopefully that's going to make it all right here. One out of three? I don't know. The president today tried to pape over it. Here he is. And by the way, he couldn't be here today. We spoke Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. He's, when I say he's a powerful voice. That's the guy. 
I used to be in the old days a pretty good athlete, and if someone was really big and tough, you'd say, I wouldn't screw with him if I had a sledgehammer. Well, I tell you what, Fetterman's a hell of a guy, a powerful voice for working people, and he's going to make a great United States senator. He's going to make a great United States senator. Sort of a glancing reference to the health of the candidate. Yeah, he's a big dude. And Dr. Oz has been spending a lot of time talking about the fact that he had a stroke. Uh, and according to Dr. Oz, doesn't eat enough vegetables. But this is the state of politics in Pennsylvania. Let's reassemble the panel. Jeannie's back with us. Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst with Bill McGinley today. Former White House Cabinet Secretary in the Trump administration. Now principal with the Vogel Group. Bill, when you start talking about uh, the fight for the soul of the nation, that's going to be a primetime address for Joe Biden on Thursday night. Uh, it, it sounded today like that was his dress rehearsal, like he was given the test, uh, the script, a bit of a test here. Uh, where is he going with this and, and who's the audience? Well, I think he's trying to do a reset pre-Labor Day because uh, post-Labor Day is when the election really begins. And unfortunately for the Biden administration, name calling of Democrats or of Republicans and independents isn't going to change the economic reality that Americans are dealing with. Hmm. I mean, real hourly wages have fallen by 3.6% this year when compared to inflation. Inflation's still at historic highs. And according to Bloomberg, one in six households are behind on their utility payments, which is about 20 million Americans. These are the economic realities that the American voters, especially those voters in Pennsylvania, that were reliant on the fossil fuel industry, including fracking, that the president has, and through his policies, has really attacked. And we can't forget that the wrong track number for the United States has been above 70% Mm -hmm. for almost a year. And look at his approval ratings. I mean, gravitational. They've only gone up a couple of points. They've only gone up a couple of points, even as gas prices have fallen, Jeannie, by something like 76 uh, straight days. Is is that that what he should mention? You know, we're fighting for the soul of America and the gas pump. Well, you know, what Republicans want to talk about and should be talking about is exactly what Bill is just talking about. The problem is what you described earlier, which is that you have a current president and this is not a referendum on him. It's going to be a choice between Biden and what many moderates and independents will decide these districts see as the sort of extremist and craziness of a Donald Trump. Because look at what's happening. President Biden there today. Donald Trump there on Saturday, President Biden back there on Monday. And this is what the Democrats are doing. This is why he is talking about these issues, because he wants to make this a referendum on the Trump administration. He doesn't want to talk about inflation. He may want to mention gas. The price is going lower. What Mm -hmm. he wants to say is we are we have returned some sense of normalcy. We got things done. I want to appeal to the centrist, to the pragmatists. I want to appeal to Americans with common sense. And he's flipping the strip, as you mentioned, on this issue of police safety and all these other things. If they're talking about the economic things, Bill is right. Republicans win hand down. But that's not what they've been able to talk about. And that's the problem for Republicans. Is one out of three not bad for John Fetterman, Jeannie? 
Well, you know, <laughs> we always you make know. a big deal out of this stuff, but I don't know why he didn't want to greet him today. There was nothing worth showing up for the photo op. You don't want to overdo it. Yeah. You know, I, I think he's he's the lieutenant governor. He's on the campaign trail. He's going to be there Monday. Pennsylvania is a fairly friendly state to Joe Biden. It's his birth state. He's got he a lot of history so, there. Yeah. But you look at some other states and they're not as friendly. And you do have senatorial candidates in other states who are a little bit less, maybe a little bit less welcoming. And that's what the Biden and administration is trying to showcase to those like the Maggie Hassans of the world, we can come there and help you. Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. though, he is there. And don't forget, he, they're in the 8th District. That's a district that Trump won in 16 and 20. They really mm. want to show that Democrats can do what they did up where I yeah. am in New York in the 19th, and they can overperform what Trump was doing in 2020 and well, what Republicans were able to do last time Can they time do around. that with an argument about abortion rights, Bill, that seemed to be the, the differentiator in New York? Well, let's also understand what happened in the New York 19th District. It was held on primary election day where independents were not allowed to vote in the special election. So you don't see that as a bellwether? I do not see that as a bellwether. It was a pre-Labor Day, doldrums of August. Uh, Independents couldn't vote in the primaries, and I think it depressed the independent uh, turnout. Um, Independents are breaking hard to Republicans. Hispanics are breaking toward Republicans. African-American males are breaking toward Republicans, okay. not only on the economic issues, but also the crime issue. I think so Republican Bill, tell me candidates then, is this, across the country is this a false narrative? The debate on crime. Is it a false narrative? Yeah, Sorry for I, interrupting that we're hearing that, no. that, that the ground is shifting, that Republicans are suddenly on their heels going into November. They'll barely take the I, House is what I hear, Bill. I, I, well, I, I got to say this, and, uh, you know, I, for one, have been saying this, and every smart consultant that I talk to uh, or listen to has been saying this. Wave elections and election victories aren't something that you sit back and watch come up on the shore. Hmm. There's something that you have to earn. You've got to get out there and, and engage the voters. You've got to be visible and put out your agenda. And that's what every Republican candidate is going to be doing. I mean, nobody is satisfied with the economy right now and what's happening in terms of middle income and lower income and working class budgets compared to the soaring prices that they're dealing with. Nobody is happy with the high crime rates, whether you're in suburbia, urban or rural areas. I mean, if you the Democrats and, you know, want to try to uh, own the the crime message, I think every Republican in America is going to say, let's have that debate because Democrats own the crime issue because of uh, DAs like Gascon out in Los Angeles, the one in Manhattan and the others who are doing no cash bail where every night you're seeing something where a violent offender is arrested and brought into jail and then immediately released and goes out and does it again. Yeah. Well, and, listen, you know, crime rates are soaring. If you ask Mitch McConnell, though, he'll tell you that, that that Republicans may not be able to take the Senate because not even of issues, because of candidate quality. That was the phrase that that he chose. Bill, are you worried about states like Pennsylvania, Georgia, Ohio, Arizona that seem to keep coming up here? I think every state that you just mentioned is always going to be a very close um, kind of war of attrition politically mm. uh, type of election where you're going to have to scratch and claw for every vote. And I think both parties have known that. I mean, an Emerson poll just came out in Georgia showing uh, Walker up two points on Warnoff, um, whereas a lot of people were saying Warnoff was running away with that. If you look at the polling yeah. out of Pennsylvania, that is tightening. The same thing with Ohio. 
But you also have places like Nevada where Adam Laxalt is doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at some of the polling that comes out of Washington State, and Patty Murray's got a fight on her hand. First time in a long time. So you're and not so buying it. You see, you see Republicans taking the Senate bill before I bring Jeannie back in I on think, this? I, th- I think Republicans have a real shot to take a narrow majority in the Senate. I think they're going to take the House. The question's going to be the margin. But yeah. I do think when people start paying attention post-Labor Day, because remember, all American families right now are finishing up the summer vacations and kids are getting back to school. They're starting mm-hmm. to get into the routine. If you talk to an American family sitting around the kitchen table, I mean, you know, politics is not top of mind. It's what are we doing to get the kids ready, not only for school, but the extracurriculars and everything else. Yeah. We've been back to school for two weeks here in Virginia, but who's counting? (laughs) Um, Jeannie, uh, look, so here's the here's the, the, the threat or the risk, I guess I should say, for Democrats is complacency. Right. You start hearing all of these stories about, well, listen, it's the Democrats Senate to lose all of a sudden. The House may not be that bad. Gosh, we'll come back and maybe do another reconciliation bill next year. Uh, Do you worry about Democrats letting their foot off the gas right now? The, the reality is there is probably over a seven or eight out of ten chance that Republicans take the House. The question is going to be by how much. Historically, this should be an enormous victory for Republicans. But you've seen Cook and others, they've sort of downgraded some of those forecasts, still with the GOP taking the House. Yeah. The Senate has always been more up for grabs. And what Democrats are responding to is, of course, these signs, which is all we can look at. Mm -hmm. And the signs are things like Republicans did incredibly well before the overturning of Roe in the specials and in the Virginia, New Jersey gubernatorial elections. They were overperforming in the double digits in Texas, California, Virginia, New Jersey. Post the Dobbs decision, that has turned around. And you, you know, also have Kansas. You you have Kansas, you have Minnesota, you have Nebraska, and you have the two in New York. Now, does that dictate what's going to happen? Absolutely not. We've still got 10 weeks to go on this right. thing. But those right. are the kinds of signs. That, you know, the other thing I would just say to watch for is the gender gap amongst new voter registrants post Dobbs. Enormous number of women, particularly young women, registering. Mm-hmm. That's something to watch. So it is going to be a battle of a turnout. This is incredibly tight. I would still say, Republicans take the House and the Senate is up for grabs because we've only had a couple elections in the modern era when the White House, the party in the White House, has actually managed to, you know, hold hold yeah, their right. own in the Congress. So that would be an exception. Very unusual if Democrats did that. But it the problem would. for Republicans is they haven't really been able to sort of move in the way they thought we thought they would six months ago. Well, let's remind ourselves of where we are. And you both did in, in, in each of your last answers, which was still August, we still have a ways to go, and the desire to write the narrative as we speak here in real time is always great. Uh, Jeannie, thank you so much for being with us uh, and being part of our panel here today. Bill, thanks. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way, from design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.